With that, turn with me to, to start with, just turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And if you can, also turn to Exodus chapter 12. So two places. Matthew 26 and Exodus chapter 12. And we'll start with Exodus 12, but uh, just keep your thumb or whichever finger you prefer, uh, in uh, Matthew's Gospel, 26th chapter, starting with uh, Exodus chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be, the beginning of, shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, One, I'm sorry, on the tenth uh, of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for the household. So starting on the tenth of that first month, each man of the house goes and gets a lamb. In verse 4, and if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your lamb or should make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of Israel, or the congregation of Israel, shall kill it at twilight. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 starting in verse 17. Matthew 26, starting verse 17. Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city and a certain man, uh, to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. And when evening come, when evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were reading, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you it will betray me. And of course, we'll just stop right there. And of course, we know this will lead into the betrayal of Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane and ultimately uh, his trial and then crucifixion. But let's open in prayer. Lord, we're so grateful to be here uh, together, gathered tonight, uh, this very week uh, that around 2,000 years ago you entered Jerusalem. And uh, Lord, we want to remember tonight uh, what you've done on our behalf. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us from both uh, passages in Scripture that uh, are in the Old Testament or the Tanakh, and that is which in the Uh, New Covenant, Lord, but we pray that you would just see, or we would see, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ and just have a deeper appreciation for what you've done, and Lord, that uh, the remembrance of these things would have a purifying work in us. Just as the leaven is to be cleaned out of the house during this uh, week, and Lord, we pray that uh, any leaven that would be in us would be uh, cleansed and uh, removed even this night. And we ask this in your name, we pray that your spirit would just bless this study. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. 
Well, um, you know uh, the beginnings, or uh, if you don't, just to, by way of a quick review, you know, Israel was founded by God coming to a man who was not Jewish. His name was Abraham. And so God told him well before it happened that the children of Israel uh, would, his descendants, would actually be in bondage for about 400 years. And that's exactly what took place. It took a famine that caused Jacob and the sons to, to go to Egypt. Joseph was already there. He'd been sold into slavery. And the nation of Israel ends up in Egypt, but grew tremendously. And as they grew, Pharaoh and the rulers of Egypt uh, didn't, uh, didn't really trust that uh, Israel would stay loyal to Egypt and really begin to have fear. And, you know, of course, fear is always a problem uh, when it's not the fear of the Lord. And so then they begin to uh, enslave and to bring the children of Israel into bondage. And so they were in slavery and under intense bondage when God had called Moses back from, he had left the country, fled the country, he was in Midian, he's called back to Egypt, and God says, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to demand that he let the people go, let the whole nation go, that they would go and worship the Lord, and of course, Pharaoh uh, would have none of it, right? And it took plague after plague after plague, and so finally they get to uh, the final plague, and God says, this is what's going to happen. He will let He will let the people go when, on this night, I'm going to send an angel of death, and the firstborn of every house is going to be killed unless, unless this is followed, what we started in Exodus chapter 12, unless there is a lamb that is slain for either one house or if a a couple of houses wanted to join together, they could, and then the blood without time, I don't have time to read all the passages, but as you go on, the blood had to be put you know, on the lentil and the two uh, side uh, doorposts there, and the blood had to be there, and uh, nothing could be left uh, for mourning. Everything had to be eaten, and they had to be ready uh, for God to completely deliver them and get out. It had to be done. They had to be uh, everything ready to go. If the Lord says go, we've got to be ready to move. And so this Passover feast, though, uh, was instituted as the final judgment for Egypt, but at the same time, judgment for Egypt, deliverance for Israel. So they would actually be set free in the same time uh, that judgment is falling. And what takes place here in the Exodus, um, the Passover begins, the command is given, and when you think about that first Passover, the very first one, uh, the Passover begins by thousands being saved by a blood covering. The very first night of Passover. Thousands are saved by a blood covering. And then when you look forward, there's going to be another blood covering, isn't there? And instead of thousands saved, millions saved. Now the feast... Uh, it was to be holy. It was to be remembered for all future generations. There wasn't a time where Israel could say, uh, we've done this long enough. It would stay for all generations, and they would continue year after year after year, uh, keeping 
this feast. Now, if you're taking notes, we're just going to look at a couple of things uh, tonight. The first, which we already read. Here, I'm one here. The keeping is, uh, if you're taking notes, we just looked at uh, this, the exodus here. Uh, but we want to take uh, a look at what took place from the time the, uh, from the, time the exodus happened and this first Passover feast all the way until Jesus enters Jerusalem, which we just read in Matthew chapter 26. Because now Jesus... That wasn't the only Passover that Jesus was a part of. He had been coming to Jerusalem since the time he was a young boy. We know he was there um, uh, as a boy, and he continued to come, no doubt, back year after year, and he had been there in his earthly ministry recorded in uh, other passages of the Gospels. But this final entrance would be his last Passover on earth. But in between then... Uh, the nation of Israel would continue, or the descendants of Israel, because obviously Israel had been um, dispersed, and there was the great dispersion that took place with Assyria, and then the one that took place with Babylon. But people would still come back from all over the world to Jerusalem to take part in the Passover. So in between all those years is the keeping of it, which didn't always go so well. Did you know that? They didn't always keep the Passover. You might say, well, I bet you, uh, since God said never, ever stop keeping it, they never stopped keeping it. But the reality is, uh, there was a taking for granted of what God had given. There was a taking for granted of being delivered. Do you think that people still sometimes take for granted that God is delivered? And people sometimes take for granted what God did for future generations. You think about what we are in the church today and the blood that many shed for us to be here. I'm not just talking about what Jesus did on the cross. I'm talking about the blood of martyrs that have gone before us and have laid down their lives that you and I could be meeting freely like we are. As a matter of fact, if, if those generations before us hadn't remembered the sacrifice of Jesus, we would not be here tonight. But they did. And so the nation of Israel was supposed to each generation, the father would pass it on to the son, and the son would have a son and pass it on to his son, and the son would have a son, and each generation was supposed to say, never forget we used to be in slavery. Never forget we used to be in darkness. Never forget we used to be in bondage. And every year they were supposed to remember that. There's a really good... Uh, value and re revisiting things, isn't there? To go back and say, I know we know this. A little bit later, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, which we don't normally do on a Wednesday. But every now and then, you know, as parents, we've got to remind our kids, man, we, we have it really good because of what other people have done for us. We can get real, you know, complaining and you know, completely uh, flippant about, uh, oh, it's so difficult. And, and God would say, no, 400 years. That's a long time to be in bondage. So for the interim of the beginning all the way till Jesus enters Jerusalem, the nation of Israel was to keep this. Now let's take a look at a couple of passages. Uh, the first place, if you can turn to, is Second Chronicles chapter 30. Give you uh, 
an example of a place where Israel had stopped keeping the Passover. Not everybody. There were certainly people that um, were keeping the Passover, but definitely quite a few were not. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 30. This is King Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah was a contemporary of the great prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, of course, prophesied about Jesus in so many different ways. The greatest, perhaps, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. But um, Hezekiah was the king at this time. He was a good king. He was a, a righteous king. And Isaiah was, was a, a contemporary and a prophet during the time of Hezekiah. But look at um, verse 2. Uh, well, you can start with verse 1. And Hezekiah, verse 1, chapter 30. Uh, and Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and, all, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord to Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. For the king and his leaders and all the assembly in Jerusalem had agreed to keep the Passover in the second month. And you say, well, that, hold on. Didn't Exodus say the first month? Yes, it did. Uh, this was an acknowledgment if you look at uh, verse 5, it says, um, take a look at verse 5, and I'll tell you what the acknowledgement was here. Verse 5, so they resolved to make a proclamation through all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that they should come to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. By the way, as church attendants keep sliding and sliding and sliding in America, even though the Bible says the precise opposite should be taking place. It says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but even more as you see the day approaching. We're closer to the return of Jesus today than we were yesterday. So church attendance for believers, I'm not talking about unsaved, but for the believers, it shouldn't be sliding. It should be instead intensifying. Now, I'm not saying with more days. I'm not adding more days to people's count, but more passion about it to come together. But they had, eh, the Passover had become a real cramp to their style. You know, they had traveling sports teams to deal with. They had all kinds of stuff that going on, and there just was no time to get to Jerusalem for the Passover. And it was a long walk, and they had worked really hard, and, there were, and they had businesses to run and stuff to do. And so well, who has time to remember that paltry 400 years of slavery? Right? The flippant attitude had come in. And Hezekiah said, we, time out. We've got to reinstitute. How do we even get away from not doing this in the first place? Now, the second month was not the prescribed date. So you say, well, how did they get away with that? Because it should obviously be taking place in the first month, according to Exodus chapter 12. Well, what took place in this, it's an acknowledgement that everyone had, not everyone, but the majority had abandoned the keeping of it. But you know, God's pretty um, ahead of the game with things. In uh, Numbers chapter 9, there was actually an exception that was here applied to the whole nation. I'll read it to you. In Numbers chapter 9, if you want to write it down if you're a note taker, uh, Numbers chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 10. 
speak to the children of Israel, saying, If any one of you or your posterity is unclean because of a corpse, or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. Notice, by the way, let me read on. On the 14th day of the second month, at twilight, he may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Now, it goes on to talk about the other aspects of it. But, so if somebody was unclean because they touched a dead body, or they were on a long journey and they couldn't get back in time, they had an exception from God to take the Passover in the second month for those requirements. It did not say if their business was doing really well and they couldn't get away from it. It said if they were on a long journey, they couldn't get back, or if they had touched a dead body, it did not give any other you know, kind of things like, well, uh, we got invited to uh, a really good event that happened to coincide with it. So there was an exception. But So what, uh, what Hezekiah did was he had felt that God would give this exception to the mass of Israel, all of the people, because they had all been, in a sense, on a long journey away. They had all touched the unclean things with the kind of, you know, just kind of choices of their life, touching the, the things that were dead rather than the things that were living. So uh, there was an exception made. Now turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 23. So you go left. Chronicles comes after, after Kings. 2 Kings 23, just take a left. It's 1 2 Kings, 1 2 Chronicles. 2 Kings chapter 23. Now, later comes King Josiah. He also is a righteous king of Judah. And unfortunately, after Hezekiah, they drift away from the Passover again. You ever, you ever notice that in, in, in the annals of Christian history, there are revivals, right? That if everybody's on fire for the Lord, back down south, the world becomes more attractive. Uh, why did we ever think that we need to get on fire for the Lord? This world has everything we could possibly want. And then the, another awakening happens. And so another one happened under King Josiah. Chapter 23, verse 21. Verse 21, he says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover of the Lord to your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. And such a, I love verse 22, Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. This Passover under Josiah was more fervent more well attended than even under David and Solomon. All the way back to the judges. For whatever reason, it really did spark a great return. Unfortunately, uh, Israel didn't stay following the Lord even after Josiah. They went back to the world again. And then, of course, Babylon is not too far off in the distance is going to be coming, and that's when the temple is going to be destroyed. But there was this awakening here, and everybody came back, and the Passover was restored again, and people began to keep the Passover again. And, I, and uh, it's good to know that um, God is a God of second chances. Isn't that good to know? And that's why we're taking of the Lord's Supper, because uh, the Lord is a, a God of second chances. And you and I, you know, we might not have ran from the Lord this week, but we still constantly need his second chances. 
We still get sidetracked. We still uh, don't take serious the things that God says that he wants us to be focused on. And he says, this is holy, keep it holy, and we kind of wane from these things. But he is the God of second chances. And the other thing is he desires, you know, we see in the days of Josiah when, when it was the greatest gathering of the Passover, God wants to do that and bring everyone into this Passover meal. Everyone. Those are that are far off. And by the way, the one under Josiah did take place in the first month. He got ahead of things. Uh, Hezekiah realized, we got no other choice. We need to do this, but we, we're not going to be able to get it done the first month. We need to take the exception. But Josiah saw and said, hey, we need to get everyone invited. And some didn't want to come, by the way. Not everyone uh, responded to the invitation. Not everyone responds to the invitation of Jesus today, too. Amen? So this is the keeping of it. We have the Exodus when it began in, uh, in chapter 12 of um, Exodus. And then comes the arrival of Jesus. Now all through these years and the many generations, uh, the Passover meal was taken. Uh, some of the things that take place in a Seder today, um, it, it's difficult to determine when some of these things uh, originated, uh, but there is certainly... Uh, a lot of, um, even, even 2,000 years ago, the Seder that uh, is practiced uh, by uh, Jewish people as well as Messianic Jewish followers today looks very much like uh, just after uh, the time of Christ, not too far after that. Uh, but we want to take a look at some of the symbolism that's taken place and some of the parallels. But before we do that, turn with me to one last passage. If you ever have anyone say, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you get all kinds of Bible turning tonight, you know, in a short period of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you ever have anyone say, I know that Jesus came around Passover, and I know that there was Lord's Supper, but I'm still not sure he was the Passover lamb and all. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 and 8. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Could it be any more clear that Jesus is the Passover? It's expressly stated. Therefore, verse 8, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, on the, on the one hand, Paul is speaking metaphorically here that we are to keep the spirit of Passover, the spirit of being delivered, the spirit of being set free, and it should be pure, and it should be done in love. By the same token, Paul really did like to go back and keep the Passover, although he couldn't for some periods of time. But when he had the opportunity, he liked to return because it was something of richness for him, but no longer requirement for him in the sense that he had been set free in Christ and he loved to keep the Passover and to go back for it. And I believe even wherever he was at in other places, he would continue to keep it when he was in Antioch or when he was in you know, one, of the, one of the cities on his journey. Uh, but when he got a chance to come back and to keep it literally, he would. And it was a great thing that I'm sure that he would continue to teach the early church the meaning behind it, 
But the expression of the Passover is that we should at all times, not just in the Passover season, be walking in purity. Because he says right here, you are unleavened. We become the unleavened body of Christ. Jesus had no leaven, but we're grafted into him, and he had no sin, and he wants to purify us. Now, obviously, we still have some in this lifetime, but he's continually purifying us that, uh, that we can always be partaking. And even as we take the Lord's Supper, Paul would write not to take it in an unworthy manner that we would always take it with, with holiness and sincerity and, and cleansing because God wants the church to stay clean and to stay pure. Now, we want to look at some of the parallels of Exodus chapter 12 to um, the life of Jesus. And so uh, the Hebrew name here, Yeshua. So in chapter 12, uh, 1 and 2, it would take place in a new year and a new beginning. And in Jesus, we know that all are new. Instead of a new year, we're made new. We're new creations according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. In the fifth verse, it says that the, the male uh, lamb had to be uh, selected on the 10th day of Nisan, closely inspected. There couldn't be any spot and blemish. On the 14th day of Nisan, uh, the lamb would be sacrificed. Now, Jesus was, was inspected as well. Uh, Caiaphas was the high priest. Annas was uh, his father-in-law. Uh, you had Pilate. You had Herod. Remember, Pilate and Herod didn't even like each other until they examined Jesus. That day they became fast friends because both of them were under incredible guilt for condemning a man that they could see was sinless and perfect. And so their guilt actually brought them together. They could commiserate in their guiltiness, and they, they actually became friends for the first time. Um, but no fault was found, and the priest couldn't, could, you know, the priest couldn't find it. They had to have these trumped-up charges. Remember, they had all these witnesses, and they all lied about Jesus. And so uh, Peter says that in 1 Peter 1.19, Jesus is the lamb without blemish, blemish. Now, Peter was there that night and even denied the Lord three times. But later, he writes those beautiful words, the Lamb without blemish. In the sixth verse, the whole assembly was required to participate. You couldn't say, well, we're from such and so tribe, uh, we're exempted. No, everybody had to participate in the Passover. Now, when it comes to accepting Jesus, everyone has to accept him to be brought into the assembly. You're, you know, in, in the nation of Israel, you were born Jewish and you were required to participate. We are born not of Christ, but we're grafted into the assembly or the family of God with accepting him. In the 7th verse, the 12th verse, the 22nd verse, the lamb's blood we talked about earlier to be applied to the doorpost up to the top, side post. Of course, if it drips, it kinda, you kind of see the vision of the cross right there. And we apply what? The blood of Jesus to our hearts by faith. We don't literally use blood, but his blood is applied by the work of the Holy Spirit, and we're applying the blood to us. The Passover feast uh, was to be kept as a remembrance. Again, generation to generation to generation. Jesus said, as often as you do this, when he entered the Passover and he sat down with the disciples, he said, do it in what? Remembrance of me. So it also would be uh, a remembrance. And then None of the bones of the sacrificial lamb were to be broken. Now, the Roman soldiers, remember, they broke the legs of the thieves on the cross, and, of course, you couldn't press up, uh, and then you would die of suffocation. But Jesus, 
He, remember he said he laid down his life. We talked about this Sunday. No one took his life, he laid down. He gave up his spirit before they could break his bones. They intended to break his bones. But when they came to him, he was already dead. Put a spear in his side and, and the water flowed out. Picture of the spirit of God flowing from Christ. But uh, none of his bones were broken. So exactly as the sacrificial lamb was to have no broken bones, Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, had no broken bones either. And so the Seder, I uh, want to take a look at, at just a couple elements of that. If you go through an, a whole kind of biblical review of the Seder and, and, and the four cups and all that takes place, and the two hand washings and the different aspects of it, uh, which one year we'd like to redo it again. I, I, I've had uh, our brother Sam come up here and do a Seder, and, and, and it is a wonderful thing. Um, it, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of work and effort to put it together, and you have to have really people that uh, put the meal together and kosher and all that good stuff. And so it takes a lot of planning, but we would love to do it. Uh, but you also can just kind of go through a review of all the elements outside of the meal and just more of a understanding that. And actually, Sam actually has um, some good materials that you can look at uh, both on the Word of Messiah website and even in our book note. But uh, a, a lot of the symbolism that's in the Passover Seder, again, for people that don't know Jesus as Messiah, they're not saved, it's just going right over the head. It's like they're, they're participating in something that truly does point to the spotless Lamb of God and has long before. I mean, this, this Sunday, the message that, that I'll be uh, sharing is called The Greatest Story Ever Fulfilled, because the story of Jesus is not just a story that happened, but one that God said would happen, and then it happened exactly how he said it would happen. And so the Passover meal, which today we you know, refer to as the Passover Seder, had always been revealing Jesus. But when he sat down with the disciples that night, even they didn't see it. You know, right? They, their eyes were still blind. They still didn't even understand, what's he talking about? Third day he's going to rise. What's up? What all this stuff about? They didn't even get it. It was later that they would say, ah, that meal we sat down, that Passover meal, which we had been taking place ever since we were little Jewish boys and we'd always participated in the Passover meal, they would then realize they were sitting with the Passover lamb. They didn't necessarily get it that night. Um, you know, one of the elements, just, I'll just give you a couple. One of the elements, um, the first hand washing, for example, um, there was a hand washing there, and uh, it started off the head, uh, the, whoever was leading the head of the table or leading the pastor washed the hands. You know, but Jesus took it a step further than that in that night, didn't he? He didn't just wash his hands. He washed everyone's feet. He washed the feet of all disciples. Now, that was not in the requirement. There was no requirement for the head leader of the Seder or the father of the home. There was no requirement for them to wash the feet. The hands had to be washed so the ceremony would be clean. And then there was another uh, secondhand washing later in the, in the ceremony, but Jesus washed the feet. They also passed around, for example, um, a bowl, well, a plate or a little bowl of, of salt water. And then you dip either parsley or lettuce in it, and it was a picture of all the tears that were shed in bondage, all those years that were shed in bondage. You think about the, the, the tears that were shed when we were in bondage, bondage to sin, 
bondage to fears and all types of, you know, the fear of death and all these things that, uh, and, and some scholars talk about the fact that these tears uh, could also refer to the bitter tears, uh, the bitterness of Jesus' own tears being betrayed by Judas that, that very night. And so that certainly applies as well. You know, today in the, uh, in the Seder, you know, you, you look at a, a piece of matzah and it's got all those little holes in it. And you see the little burn marks, which look like stripes. And uh, I did one, I did a little, uh, a lot of slides for some of the kids last week, and it had their pictures. I didn't give you all all the pictures because you don't need the pictures in the book, all that stuff, right? You know, but you know, different pictures, images, and uh, but even the even the unleavened bread, a picture with no sin, Jesus completely sinless, but pierced all the little holes in the in the matzah um, and all of the the lines, and he was. Uh, we were, he's pierced for our uh, sins, but also uh, by his stripes we are healed. And we see the symbolism uh, even in the bread. But I want to uh, point out, we want to leave time to take of the Lord's Supper together. Uh, but in Exodus chapter 6, you don't have to turn there, but uh, Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, uh, that actually outlines uh, where the uh, four cups of the Seder come from. Um, I'll turn there, and you, you don't have to, but um, in Exodus chapter 6, because you've been turning a lot, I'll give you a break. Um, it talks about, uh, therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you there from, from their bondage. I will redeem you uh, with an outstretched arm and with my great judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And uh, then you should know that I am the Lord. Now, actually, be from verses 6 through 8 are seven I wills that God uh, commands. But for the Seder, there's these four uh, that become the four cups. And so you have the first cup of sanctification, I will bring you. Now, Jesus said no man comes to the Father unless the Father has drawn us to himself. Did you guys know that? No man comes to the Father unless the Father is drawn. He has brought us or drawn us, just like he drew Israel out of Egypt, he drew us to himself. So the cup of sanctification, God said he was going to bring Israel out to do what? To party even harder than the Egyptians? No, to bring them out to serve and worship the Lord. We have been brought near to Christ, not to do our own thing, but to become servants of the Lord. He's brought us out of slavery to be his children and to be his servants. Now the next is the cup of, cup of plagues, and they were freed from those plagues. The Egyptians, those who resisted, remember Pharaoh, he always hardened his heart. If a person hardens their heart, the ultimate plague of hell will be waiting for them, just like there was that final plague that brought death, the death of the firstborn. We're delivered uh, from the plagues. God says, I will free you, and from the plague of bondage, right? Just the, the bondage of uh, people uh, that are in sin that can't stop destroying and, and causing pain and all the things. You, see, you, know, you watch the news and you say, how can someone continue to, uh, continent after continent, city after city, cause so much? Well, they're in bondage, and they put this bondage on other people as well. It's just the sin cycle that we see. And then the cup of redemption. Uh, they were redeemed out of Egypt. Uh, 
Jesus redeems us out of the Egypt of a life of sin, and we're redeemed by the Lord. The Lord, Lord Jesus says, I will redeem my bride, the church. And we're all, uh, those of us that are born again, we're part of that redemption. And lastly is the cup of praise. And Jesus not only takes us and we find our fulfilling and our calling, he takes us now, right? We're already taken into his body. Are we in his body only when we get to heaven? No, he's taken us as his bride now. Now there's the consummation, future state of us fully realizing all that we are in Christ. But we've already, he's already taken us unto himself. But, and you notice it's also sometimes called the cup of acceptance. Jesus has accepted us in the beloved, hasn't he? He's accepted us. It's not like just, just hey, I accepted Christ as my Savior. He accepted us. He accepted us in him. And he will take us, but this take us has kind of a, a larger fulfillment because not only will he take us out of Egypt, someday he'll take us out of this earth, won't he? And we'll be accepted up into heaven. He'll take us beyond where we're at. So these, um, you know, some, I know a few of you in here are probably even going to some seders this week. I know that there are uh, some being held, and, and each of these cups will be uh, a walk through in the... Um, in the Seder, and there's other elements that, that I didn't cover here tonight that are also part of it, but just with, for the sake of time we had. But all of this to say that when we go back, turn with me back to Matthew chapter 26, we want to take the time tonight for a few minutes as we come to a close to take of the Lord's Supper together. It is not by any stretch uh, what we have uh, in, in the taking of the Lord's Supper it is not the full breadth of what you find in the Seder. It doesn't have all the elements that you find. But it has the two key elements, and that is Jesus' body and Jesus' blood. And remembering that this is the reason that he came during this Passover season. Um, tomorrow night is Thursday. And, you know, I, well, I remember one year, if you want to do something that will really, like, twist your brain, try and study all the things that try and figure out the timeline. There's a lot of schools of thought on what is three days? Was it a part of three days? Was it three full days? Uh, what Jesus had to say about it? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different landing, and it's not... A lot of those views are not false doctrine. It's just really, truly people. Some people have, like, written volumes on this, and, and uh, I'm not smart enough to figure out which, which one of them has come with the correct. But, but most believe that tomorrow, no matter what, part of tomorrow would have involved the Garden of Gethsemane. And that is where Jesus entered into such incredible... I mean, he really went to the cross in the Garden. That's where he laid it down. Father, if you're willing, let this, what, cup pass from me. And we look at these four cups, but he knew uh, that these cups, which would be part of the Seder, were nothing compared to the cup that he would have to drink. We take of the cup in remembrance. He took of the cup in full sacrifice. And so he entered into the garden sometime tomorrow, 
and it was late uh, going into the next day that he's arrested and it's in the middle of the night there uh, that his trial takes place and he's, and he's convicted of things he had never done. He obviously had lived a sinless, perfect life. But as we look at uh, Matthew chapter 26 together, just go back to that passage, we want to read this and then we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. In Matthew chapter 26, um, I'm not going to, I'm going to read it, but we're not going to take of it just yet, and I'm going to invite uh, the men in just one second. Starting in verse 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, and all this was, would have been part of the Passover meal as well, but again, he is revealing that he is the Passover meal, whether Again, they could see that that night or not. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and said, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood. Now, of course, he's expressing that this cup that they have been drinking for years, not exactly, but each year, this cup represents his blood. And this new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, the halal, uh, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then in verse 31, you can see um, what takes place. And, he, and Jesus said to them, All of you will ma be made this night to stumble because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Even again, he's reminding them, I'm not going to stay in the grave. We get to celebrate this Sunday, amen? I'm not going to stay in the grave. After I've read, this one, right over everybody's head. They still, am I the betrayer? I mean, you're, it's, 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 it's got to be Thomas. Is it, is it this one over here? Who's, who's the betrayer? Uh, what are we going to do? You're going to raise, from the, you're not even going to die. Get into the garden. Peter said, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you that night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And, Jesus, and Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Then they came to Gethsemane, verse 36, and we don't have time to go into it, but in verse 41, he says, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I'm just going to ask you right now, we don't have... To time to do an hour of prayer, but just take a couple of minutes and pray and search your own heart and just thank the Lord. You know, Israel abandoned at times this beautiful remembrance of deliverance. And we as Christians at times unwittingly abandon, uh, abandon or, and quite consciously at times, the great sacrifice Jesus has made for our behalf. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And as uh, you just take a few minutes and bow your heads and, and just thank the Lord for fulfilling the Passover, for being the Passover, for not just having that meal, but in the next hours that would come after that meal to enduring the scourging and the mocking and the spitting and the beating and ultimately to be nailed on that cross by 9 a.m., what most believe Friday morning, Again, if you have a different view, that's fine. And then as the Passover lamb 
would be killed by twilight. Coming later that afternoon, Jesus would die at the exact same time as the Passover lambs were to be sacrificed. Just take a few minutes to pray and thank the Lord, and we'll, in a few minutes, take of the elements together.